We've been looking at this great theme of light overcoming the darkness. And this morning we celebrate the great dawning of the light of the birth of Christ. The prophecy of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, in the latter part of Luke 1, speaks of the power of this light to dispel our darkness. Zechariah spoke of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And we've already heard from an earlier message, the prophecy of Isaiah 9, 9 uh, quoted in Matthew 4. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The, the image of light dispelling darkness is central to our understanding of the coming of Christ, of the incarnation and its meaning. When Jesus was presented at the temple shortly after his birth, old Simeon recognised this child as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So my hope in this series was that we might see the victory of the light of Christ over the darkness of this present world more clearly than we have before. A sentimental view of Christmas may give momentary relief from the darkness of this present world, but it cannot bring us to that revelation of what God has accomplished in Christ to shatter our darkness and liberate us into his marvellous light. And it will not silence the accusations of many that if there really is a God, he is failing miserably to alleviate human suffering and look after a humanity that he claims to love. A sentimental view of Christ's coming does not go deep enough. We need a gospel that proclaims not only the love of Christ, but the holiness of such love. Only a self-atoning God who in one saving action upholds his own holy name and at the same time reconciles the world to himself through his own beloved Son. Only such a God can strengthen our hearts to trust him, no matter what comes our way. In all history, there's never been a time when God has not borne witness to his goodness and kindness as a faithful creator. We have the rain, the sunshine, food, wine to gladden our hearts. But he's never promised to deliver a fallen world from all the harsh and tragic things that bring pain and death. Even as believers, we can assume that God's love means that he is obligated to protect everyone from suffering and what we feel is untimely death. Every tragedy, every cancer, every dark and cruel thing can make us doubt God's goodness. It's important to remember that God has never made such promises, not even to his children. But isn't the message of Christmas all about light dispelling the darkness? Why hasn't the birth of Christ delivered us from all the darkness and fears of this present world? How can we celebrate his coming when even at Christmas time there is so much sorrow and pain? 
What did Zechariah mean when he declared that God would give light to those who are sitting in darkness? It speaks of a people who are utterly helpless, tired, worn out, who've given up the struggle and already feel the shadow of death over them. When people are exhausted by their idols, when all that they had trusted in fails to give them the joy that was promised, and all they have is broken dreams and guilty hearts, the darkness is very great. And what a great need for God's light to dawn upon their hearts. Light of itself does not solve the great riddle of life. In fact, it simply makes our existence in the universe a far, far bigger problem to solve. Let me explain what I mean. The speed of light is 300,000 kilometres per second. The distance from the Earth to the Sun is nearly at 150 million kilometres. It takes an average of 8 minutes and 20 seconds for the light of the Sun to reach the Earth. It takes 9 billion years for light to travel from the farthest star ever seen by NASA to reach Earth. But those distances are nothing to what is soon to be discovered. The largest space telescope in history is about to blow our minds. The James Webb Space Telescope will be 100 times as powerful as the Hubble. The scientific observation of our universe is about to take a quantum leap forward in ways that we can hardly imagine and present us with new mysteries that will be far beyond our present knowledge. And yet I suspect that no matter how our scientific understanding of the universe develops in the years ahead, we will be no closer to unravelling the mystery of the universe. God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Apart from God's self-disclosure in Jesus Christ, we are still left totally in the dark as to the meaning of our existence. As people struggle to comprehend the vastness of the universe and then compare that immensity with the infinitesimal size of our planet, it is understandable that many people cannot accept that this world alone is the special focus of some divine and eternal purpose. In fact, such a claim would make no sense at all, except... Uh, that God himself has turned up in human history to make it known. But that is the fact. That's the truth of the birth of Christ. Uh, we needed a light that could bring brilliant revelation rather than endless speculation. As you heard recently, John wrote, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. The word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only son who is at the father's side, he has made him known. And uh, Paul said, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, its own fallen wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Uh, without the coming of his son, we would all still be in the dark concerning God's eternal purpose. The human race is literally lost in space without the light of Christ. But we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We've heard to which you'll 
you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So can we see the dawn of the new day in the coming of God's Son? Has the morning star risen in our hearts? There's good reason to believe that Peter was not thinking so much about the second coming, but a present revelation of Christ's brilliant, glorious Lordship over the darkness that holds humanity in bondage. Has the light uh, been switched on as we've listened to this series on the light overcoming the darkness? These prophecies concerning the Messiah... Um, they've been made more clear in the birth and coming and majesty of Jesus Christ that the disciples, the apostles proclaimed and, and uh, that we share in the gospel. Um, and we need uh, such light because this world cannot offer us such light. Elon Musk is one of the most brilliant, innovative, uh, also controversial thinkers. He's developed world-changing technologies. He's the founder, CEO and chief engineer of SpaceX. Um, he's the CEO and product architect of Tesla. Uh, he's involved in many other things. He's the richest man. He's worth $261 billion dollars. And counting. In a video entitled People Don't Realise What's Coming, he makes it clear what gets him up in the morning. He reminds us that in half a billion years' time, the sun will expand and make life impossible on Earth. But well before then, the Earth is heading for catastrophe. Elon suggests that there are only two fundamental paths for humanity. One is that we stay on Earth forever, and then there'll be some kind of extinction event that will destroy life as we know on the planet. The alternative path is that we become a space-ranked civilization and a multi-planet species. Elon believes that even with sublight travel, the human race could colonize the entire galaxy in a million years. Not that long. And even some of the neighboring galaxies as well. When asked why we would want to colonize a planet like Mars, just Mars, his answer is, we need such an inspiring project to give us a reason to get up in the morning. There needs to be things that make you look forward to waking up. Why do you want to live? What's the point? What do you love about the future? If not, if not being out there in the stars and not being a multi-planetary species, if that's not what gets you up, then Elon finds life incredibly depressing. When asked what he believed the meaning of life is, he said that the meaning of life is to understand the meaning of the universe. Being a multi-planet species, being out there among the stars, is important for the long-term survival of humanity. Like a kind of life insurance for collective life. But there's another reason. It creates a sense of adventure. It gives us a future. And he thinks there's only two futures. One, we are one where we're forever confined to the earth until a catastrophe, a mass extinction event. 
or another future where we're out there on many planets, maybe even going beyond the solar system. And he finds that second version, that second path, incredibly exciting and inspiring. And that's his reason to get up in the morning. Otherwise, what is the point? At the end of the interview, he says, I want to be very clear. I'm not trying to be anyone's saviour. That is not, I, I'm just trying to think about the future and not be sad. I think that shows the terrible futility of life lived under the shadow of death. A world without hope and without God. Elon Musk shares our modern confidence that technology can save humanity, not just save the planet, because he thinks the planet's doomed for disaster anyway. The problem with putting our trust in what man can achieve is that we're putting our trust in a deeply flawed saviour, one that cannot finally deliver what we need. Fixing the world is one thing. Fixing the people who live on it is another. Someone has said the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Even if humans do end up living on Mars, they still need saving from themselves. That's so obvious. So how does God give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death? The angel told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. The main purpose of the incarnation was to destroy evil. God plan, God's plan was to take on the kingdom of darkness once for all. Mary's baby is the great deliverer the world needs. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the evil one. He came to deliver us from the dominion of darkness. He came as the great liberator. He came to set us free forever. The baby in the feeding trough became the man on the cross. He saved us from our sins by bearing our sins. He saw all the grief that we see. He saw the terrible bondage and emptiness of putting our trust in the false gods of this world. God saw the terrible misery of a humanity that sits in darkness under the shadow of death. So who does he send? He sends his son. No wonder the angels glorified God in amazement. At his birth. How tender the Father's mercy for a sinful race. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. If we don't see this, we're blind to the great misery of this world. He came that we might see he came to set us free. We know right from the beginning of his life, uh, the evil one was out to destroy Jesus. Old Simeon made it clear that Mary's child would be opposed, that a sword would pierce her own soul as she witnessed one day the sufferings of his son. But in the end, in the hour when darkness appeared to reign, in those awful hours of darkness on the cross, when it appeared that nothing could stop the evil of this world, not even the Son of God, in that moment, the light of the world shattered the darkness forever. 
No one, no one knew that until the morning of the resurrection. But it was so. Sin had been atoned for once for all and humanity could be set free through the power, through faith in the power of his atoning blood. He saved us from our sins, not by minimising our offence before God, but by shedding his blood for our sins in our place. He did not simply bring God down to our level as though our sin mattered little to God. He came down, all right, so far down in order to lift us up that we might live freely in the holiness of his love. The crucifixion is the key to the incarnation. There is no joy at his birth unless he defeated evil in his death. How has the Lord of glory conquered the kingdom of darkness? Not by shining a supersonic laser to shatter the evil of this world. He did not come with worldly power and military might to do battle with the kingdom of darkness. He came as a weak and vulnerable baby to share our humanity, to bear our sorrows, to wear our shame and to die our death. He overcame by allowing himself to be overcome. He saved us from sins by becoming sin for us. He delivered us from the great accuser by bearing every dark accusation and incrimination that belongs to us. He was crucified in weakness so that he might powerfully defeat the darkness that holds us captive. He totally removed the sting of death by submitting to the penalty of sin himself that death might no longer enslave us any longer. For those who are in Christ, death has lost its sting completely. Death stung itself to death when it stung Jesus. Because our sin has been atoned for, we are peace with God. We no longer sit in darkness, we stand in grace. We've obtained the great hope of sharing his glory. What is mortal will be swallowed up by, not by death, but by life. That's why we can sing in the midst of the darkness. He who is mighty has done a great thing, taken on flesh, conquered death's sting, shattered the darkness and lifted our shame. Holy is his name. If the light has dawned in our hearts, then we need not be overcome by the darkness of this present age. A new age has dawned. We belong to the new day of Christ's glory. Darkness must flee from our hearts. In this world you will know tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Ben Robinson, an American journalist, tells a story about the time he was sent to England to cover the bombing of London during World War II. He was there during one of the worst air raids of the war. The bombing continued through the night. Uh, the fires erupted throughout the city. The whole city was encircled by flames. Uh, the all clear alarm sounded at one in the morning. He, he returned to his hotel room, nervous, exhausted. He threw himself in his bed and he cried, Oh God, I don't want to live another day. I can't go through another night of hell and horror like this. And he fell asleep with the window open. He was awakened on Sunday morning by music. Curious, he got up and went outside looking for the source of the music. And across the street, he saw a Christian church that had been reduced to rubble by the bombing raid. The roof was gone and only portions of the wall remained. But there, 
Standing in the midst of the ruins was the choir, the pastor and the little congregation gathered for worship on Sunday morning. The congregation was not only singing, they were singing triumphantly. And he heard the words of their song, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her and for her life he died. Robinson was overwhelmed by their courageous faith. Suddenly I saw in the world something that was unshatterable something that was indestructible, the spirit and power of Jesus Christ within his church. Falling on his knees, he prayed, O God, now I gather strength and courage to live another day. I will go on. If we know that in the birth of Christ and in all that was accomplished through him, God was shattering the darkness, then we could face another day, couldn't we? With new strength and courage. The coming of the light of the world to overcome the darkness appeared to be a weak and an insignificant event. His birth came quietly and silently, not in any powerful way. If we blinked, we would have missed it. Only a few shepherds, later some wise men from the east, were let in on the significance. And later an aged Simeon and the old widow Anna saw the light. But to everyone else, it was life as usual. They were oblivious to what God was doing. In our day, we should be grateful for every witness to the true gospel that goes out during the Christmas season. But the reality is that much sentimental, cultural celebration utterly obscures the great thing that God has done. The birth of Christ appears to be a weak and significant event. Not so. Not so. Listen to Paul encourage Timothy. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Christ came. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose again, and in all that, he abolished death and brought life and light and immortality to light through the gospel. So I wonder, has the day dawned in your own heart? Or do you find yourself tempted to curse the darkness in despair? God never promised a happy, pain-free existence in this present world. Such a God is an illusion. The only true God is the holy God that we hear of in biblical revelation, who has acted decisively in history to bring us, to bring into being a new creation in which sin and death no longer reign. It's the dawning of this new age that has come to us in Christ and liberates us from this present darkness. Only he can save us from our sins. Only one man can assure us of a world of glory to come in a renewed and glorified creation 
fully liberated from the power of sin and guilt and death. We have a better hope, a greater joy than the dream that gets Elon Musk up in the morning. But if his dream of humanity colonising the universe gives him a reason to live, how much more should our hope that the whole creation itself shall be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God give us the courage to light a candle and not curse the darkness? I pray that the light of his coming will bring you deep joy today and in the days to come as you celebrate the great thing that God has done. Amen.